Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Well, since you're here today, or if you're joining us online or listening later, I'm assuming that you're at least open or curious about some of the big questions of life. Big questions about God, big questions about faith, big questions about life. Questions like, is there a God? And if there is, what is he like? And if there is, how do we relate to him and how does he relate to us? And that's our focus today. It's a big question. How do we know God? How do we know God? And before we dive into that big, big question, let's step back and consider how we can know anyone or anything. And for this, I'm going to lean on uh, the great author and professor. That he's no longer with us. He's in heaven now, J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God. And towards the beginning of that book is a great description of how we can know anyone or anything, including God. And he begins by talking about how the complexity of different, knowing different types of things. Specifically, no doubt, knowing God is a lot more complex, or trying to know God is a lot more complex than trying to know another person. Or than taking an, trying to know another person or your neighbor is a lot more complex than trying to know, say, a book or a language. And there's a pattern, there's a basic pattern, it's logical, that the more complex the object, the more complex the knowing of it. And so if we want to learn, if we want to gain knowledge about something that's abstract, like a language, we we seek to learn it. Or if we want to learn about something that's inanimate, we will explore it or inspect it. And that's, but it's different with something that's alive. Um, Let's go with pets. Let's go with a dog. Or you could say that you know a dog, and you may know something about a dog or what a dog does, um, and you could base that on past behavior and potentially what you think is going to happen in the future and maybe how that dog has been trained. And you could know some things about a dog, but then move to a person. We're a lot, I think, more complex than dogs because human beings have an inner life. They have inner thoughts. They have, they have, and really they have secrets. And to really know a person it's the next level. You have to have, that person has to reveal something about himself or herself to really know them. You could be around a person for months or even years and still feel like you don't know that person. It's only when that person chooses to reveal something about himself or herself and, and that other person receives that. In that dialogue, in that exchange, then you start to get to really know one another. And if that's the case with a person, how much more is that true with God? Right, but the good news is that the, crea- the almighty creator has made himself available to us so we can know him. Ultimately, he's made himself available to us in Jesus Christ. Because when we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. He's also given us his word and what is described and how he's described through his actions as we see throughout the Bible, throughout scripture. And as we pray and consider this, this is how we can begin to know God based on what he has shared, less on what we think God should be like. And that's how we're going to focus today uh, as we continue in our sermon, style, sermon series entitled, This is Essential. And today's focus is knowing God is essential. Knowing Him. And what's important, the difference here is that for us is that we need to consider what has God revealed about Himself? Because all of us, all of us have different thoughts about God in some capacity. But the fact is that if we think we can come up with who God is, we'll more times than not end up projecting either our own selves onto God or some authority figure. We need to let God speak for himself. 
uh, as opposed to us trying to make God out to be who we think he is. And I believe we owe it to God and we owe it to ourselves to let him speak for himself and to give that a try and see what he shows us. And so that's gonna be the focus today because what's at stake? What's at stake is life, true life, eternal life, life to the full that Jesus promised. And if we want to embrace the life that God has to offer us, we need to know God and know him on his terms and based on what he's revealed. Right, Jesus, in a great prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross in John 17, 3, as part of that prayer, he said this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, this is eternal life. This is life to the ages, full life, true life, abundant life. To, this is life. It's to know the one true God. It's like to truly know God, that's where life is found. And today we're going to focus on how do we know God? What does the Bible reveal? And what have Christians thought throughout the centuries, specifically as they've reflected on one God in three persons? As people have reflected and read Scripture and thought, what is, how has God revealed himself in Scripture? It's in a term that's come to be known as the Trinity and the triune nature of God. We're going to look at that together. But before we dive into the specifics, I'm going to share some of my story around this. Because I've, throughout my Christian life, throughout my Christian walk, honestly, I've been frustrated. Uh, even I would go to the point of saying I've been annoyed at the idea of the Trinity. If I'm honest with you. I remember, I mean, so I would, I, knowing that the word Trinity is nowhere found in the Bible, and I would hear people like me, pastors, preach about the Trinity or different Sunday school teachers talk about the Trinity. I'm like, what is going on here? One God, three persons? I remember thinking, God, couldn't you have made this a little more simpler? Like, this is making my brain hurt. Like, what is going on here? And I have to admit that it even became more uh, magnified, uh, especially after I graduated college and working in software development. And a lot of, in Northern Virginia, a lot of my coworkers had different religious backgrounds, especially from the Muslim faith. And they would say, tell me about this God, this one God, three gods, three persons. And I found myself being frustrated. I remember reading and studying and not being able to wrap my head around this idea of the Trinity, of one God, three persons, and not being able to explain it. And it wasn't until a couple years later in seminary where I was reading about the deep things of God and was reading deeply about the Trinity. I remember praying and asking God, in essence saying, God, I don't understand you. Help me understand you. Help me. I need some help here. If I'm gonna be a pastor, I should probably have a little bit of a clue about the Trinity, right? Come on, help me out here. And that was the beginning of a journey of God saying, let me show myself to you. Let me show who I am through scripture to you. And, and what was beautiful about it is that it opened up some new possibilities that weren't there before. And it re reminded me yet again that doubts and questions are not a bad thing. Doubts and questions about God can actually lead us to a closer relationship with God. Because when we're honest with God about our doubts and questions, he's there to meet us. Isn't that true with any relationship? If there's something you don't understand about another person, if you're willing to go there and say, I'm curious, I'm puzzled, I'm not sure why you're acting this way. If you can enter into that space and that person actually responds and have a, a mature dialogue and healthy dialogue around it, you could come to a greater understanding of one another and come to a better shared understanding and, and deepen that relationship. I believe that's what God wants to do with us all the time, especially around things that we don't fully understand, or in my case with the Trinity, didn't understand at all. Um, so as I wrestled with this, I, I came to a pattern in my life, and I've seen this in multiple areas. 
And I share this with you by means of a testimony. What I've, this pattern is this, that the aspects of God that bother me and the ones I don't understand are always the exact area that God wants to teach me about himself. Let me say that again. The aspects of God that bother me because I don't understand them are the exact areas that God wants to show me something about himself. And in the process, he teaches something to me about me in the process in our relationship. So I don't know what it is for you. If you come to today, there's something that bothers you about God because you don't understand him. I submit to you that there's something there. There's something that God wants to teach you about himself and something that God wants to teach you about you and your relationship with him in that. For me, it was the Trinity. I've come to a place, just always wondering why. Why was this such a bother, bothersome to me? So I want to set some expectations as we dive in. First, we're not going to cover all aspects of the Trinity today in the next 15 and a half minutes. That's not going to happen. This is going to be an, an entry into it. Um, some initial thoughts. I'm going to share some things that God has shown to me, and my prayer for you is that this will help you along your path. Maybe you're like me where I was 15, 20 years ago. I mean, bothered, even annoyed by this idea of the Trinity and not sure what to do with it. Maybe you're a great theologian. You could explain this inside and out. Kyle Brogdon, come on up and preach. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you're in that place, praise God. I'd love to get your insights as well. We could all learn from each other. But wherever you are on that, I believe God has made himself available in Scripture. And I want to look there first, as opposed to trying to come up with ideas or different metaphors and images of how God's been in eternity from all, cre- you know, before even creation, to go to God's word and say, God, what have you shown us about yourself and specifically in this area of him being one divine being in three persons, united in mission and also united in love with one another. So let's dive right in. Um, we're going to start by going right to Scripture and beginning with what's known as the Shema in, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4. This is quoted by Jesus as well. Hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here affirming and stating that, hey, the Christianity and, and the beliefs of and Christianity are against atheism on the one hand and polytheism on the other. That there is one true God. But what do we do with this that as Christians have thought over the centuries about this God as being one divine being in three persons? What are we to believe and why does it matter? Well, for a description of this, I want to go to what we've been leaning on in this series of the essential tenets, a description of the core Christian beliefs as articulated by our denomination. And in this specific area, it says this, the triune nature of God is the first great mystery of the Christian faith. With Christians everywhere, we worship the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is both one essence and three persons. So again, there's different approaches we can do this. We could try to take that and say, well, what does that look like? Let's come up with a metaphor and an image. And, and for me, that's where a lot of the frustrations and, and challenges have come over the years where I've heard Christian writers and authors talk about the Trinity as a divine dance or all these other different descriptions. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Help me understand what this really means. And so my approach, what's been helpful to me, is go right to Scripture, look at the actions of each of the persons of the Trinity, and then see how they act in, in individually, but then how that, what that means for them together. Stay with me on this as we look at it, because we're going to look at how the unified mission of God, his outward actions, reveal what's going on in the inner life of God, of who he is. That's a lot to think about, but if you think about a person, what they're doing outwardly, their actions typically conveys what's going on on the inside in their heart. Even Jesus said, out of your heart, the mouth will speak. I would say, out of your heart, you will act. I think as we look at the actions of God 
in scripture and then echoed throughout history will help us get a sense of who he is in his inner life and help us to know him better. Tall order. You ready? Are you? All right, here we go. We're going to look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7 as an example. I want to take one scripture passage where we see each of the roles within the Trinity and then put a magnifying glass to it. We're going to take it in sets of verses. So in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we read this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So if we put a magnifying glass to those two verses, we'll see certain things pop out and we can highlight them. We see that God sent his son. God sent his son. So God the Father sent his son. We see that son is Jesus Christ. What did the son do? The son redeemed. There was an action. The son redeemed those under the law. And what was the outcome? That we might receive adoption to sonship. That we might be adopted into God's family. So here we see two of the actors. We see God the Father. We see God the Son. Move on to the next two verses, verse 6 and 7. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. All right, so let's put a magnifying glass to these two verses and, and see what highlight. We see that God sent the spirit of his son. You see, God the Father sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit, it's of His Son. We see all three persons of the Trinity here. He sent them. Why? And the Spirit it comes into us and calls out, Abba, Father. It's an incredible picture of relationship. And the good news of the gospel here really summarizes the good news of the entire Bible that we are no longer a slave, but God's child. Because of God's action, because of what he's done, we know that we're not a slave anymore. We're not a slave to sin. We're not a slave to the past, but we're God's child. We're adopted into his family, into this loving community. So we see that God the Father sent the spirit of his son. And here we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see each one is distinct. We see each one has specific actions. And we see each one as they work together, work together for one purpose. And so keeping those verses in mind, now let's step back and look at what some other thinkers of the faith have thought, have considered around this topic. Specific, the Reformed theologian Charles Hodge in his book on systematic theology lists different aspects of this. I want to briefly walk through them. Right, starting number one, coming back to the beginning, there is only one living and true God. It comes back to the Deuteronomy verse I read before. Again, pushing against atheism, pushing against polytheism, saying there's one true God. But in light of having that one true God, what do we see in Scripture? Number two, that in the Bible, we see that all divine titles and attributes are equally described, are ascribed equally to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Meaning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all described as God in the Bible. Right? God the Father. We see Then we see the divinity of the Son. Right? The divinity of Jesus through his teachings, his works, and his miracles. We also see the divinity of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is described as God in Acts chapter 5 when the account of Ananias and Sapphira. We also see that we are called the temple of God, and we see that the Holy Spirit lives in us, meaning the Holy Spirit is described as God. And so in all instances, we see that each person of the Trinity is described as God, as divine. And so in light of that, number three, the one divine being exists, yes, in three distinct persons, and the three are same in substance or essence, and they're equal in power and glory. 
And so there's a distinction, but there's never a division. We said they work together for one unified mission. As we see, when they're described, they're always described together, achieving one common purpose. But within, within that, they all typically have a predominant action. So number four, we see that the Father tends to be the one who creates. The Son is the one who redeems. And the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies or makes holy. And we see that they have predominant actions. All these come together for one unified mission. And so we see those actions out in the world. For me, I'm like, well, okay, that's, there's three different persons of the Trinity. But they're working together for one unified mission. Ultimately to redeem us, rescue us, and to set things right. Yes, it's one God. And we see these three different persons, but they're unified all together in one unified mission. So going from the outward actions, then it brings us to the inward person. Again, if we look at a person, we see how they act, what they're doing, we get a sense of what's going on on the inside. I think as we do that, now let's move towards the inside. And as we do, um, I just want to skip on down to what Jesus said um, and gives us a glimpse of the inner life of the Trinity. And that same prayer, that great prayer before we went to the cross, in John 17, 5, he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Here's a glimpse into the inner life of God. That before the world began, that the Father and the Son shared glory. That's mind-blowing. But it's what's shown us here in Scripture in this prayer. In the same way, Jesus in verse 24 says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Here we see that love existed between the Father and Son before the creation of the world. And this is a whole separate sermon, but this is mind-blowing and incredible. That love existed before the creation of the world. This means that God, who's described as love in 1 John chapter 4, isn't needy. He didn't create us because he needed us. He, is, he existed in love before anything was created. That's just who he is. And for me, that brings great assurance, knowing that that's who God is. God is love, and there was love before the world was even created. And so we see that love that's poured out in his outward actions, that love which couldn't be contained, that love that couldn't keep us separate from him, that he sent his son to restore us into a right relationship with him, that we were slaves, that we were separate from God. He said, no, I don't want that. I want to make the way for you to become part of my family, part of my loving community. And so we see the loving, unified action of God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, leading us into a loving community with him as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, ultimately experienced in the church itself. We see that God's loving outreach is meant to bring us into that loving community. And that loving community of God is what fuels his outreach. And so over this, the summary is this, that we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work together in one unified mission, and also in relation to one another, as one God in three persons. Again, it's one loving mission and in, in fueled by a set of loving relationships that leads us into that loving community. I would say this is not what we would expect, and in many ways it doesn't make sense. If I haven't hurt your head now, I'm sure your head is hurting. That's okay. Um, I'm trusting, even as I came up to the sermon, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm driving here this morning being like, is any of this gonna make sense to anyone? And then I thought, you know what? I've been on, in your seats most of my life thinking, I, I just need to hear this. Um, and so I'm trusting as you hear this, as you hear this, as you come back to the Bible, my prayer for you is that you would see 
the words of Scripture in a different light. You would see these roles. You would see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together in love, reaching out into the world to bring more and more people into that loving community. Ultimately, the life of God itself, but also into the church, his loving community. Um, this is not what we would expect in many ways. It's not in many ways what on the surface makes sense. But hear this. God doesn't stay in our little boxes. God doesn't stay in our little zones that we create for him. God loves to blow our minds. And I believe that this is why God chose to reveal himself in this way. That if we can, can easily choose a God who stays far away and we're supposed to just follow his rules, but God is so much bigger than that. I mean, he's so much more complex than that. And, and if in a loving relationship, if, even if you're, if you're married to a complex person, sorry, Laurie, I know you're married to a complex person. You have to, it takes a lot to figure that person out. There's deeper love as you work into that. So I, my prayer for you is that you would lean into this and ask God, teach me more about yourself in this way. Because when you run into something this big and this mind-blowing, it should and could lead to worship and to awe, being like, God, I can't put you in a box. I don't completely have you figured out. That's exactly where he wants to be and where he wants you to be. He wants you to pursue him, to ask the questions and let him reveal himself. If you want to know God, let him speak on his own terms. He is God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And this is the God who invites us to know him. And this is essential. And knowing God in this way as a follower of Christ is essential. And let it blow your mind, open up your hearts, and may you be welcomed into that loving community that's based on his loving, united mission to bring you home. Let me give you one thing to remember, one thing to do out of this sermon. It's more general. In general, one thing to remember is this. God invites us to know him based on what he has shared about himself in Scripture. Continue to read Scripture. Read the Bible. See what God has shared about himself. Look for these roles of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about this united mission in love to rescue and redeem us and what that reveals about him in terms of him being love. I invite you to do that. One thing to do is pray this somewhat dangerous prayer. Ask God, what do you want to share about yourself with me so that I may know you more. I want you to pray that prayer this week. Ask, what do you want to share with me so that I may know you more? And see what God does, especially as you open up his word. Read some of the gospels about Jesus. Read some of these letters. See what God shows you. Um, and I'll be praying for you that he'll surprise you. And that wherever you are in this journey of knowing God, that you could take that next step in knowing him, not based on what, he th what we think he should be, but based on what he has shared with us on his own terms, based on who he is. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider uh, these deep truths of who you are, God, I ask and pray, Lord, that you would give us a renewed desire to know you. And God, that we would seek you and seek your face as we read your word and read scripture, God, that we would let you speak for yourself and share with us who you are, and in the deep, mysterious places, God, that we don't understand you, God, we ask for, help us to see, help us to have a sense of who you are in that and grow us closer to you in the midst of it. Help us to bring our questions to you. Help us to bring our doubts to you, God. Trusting and believing, Lord, that you will meet us in those prayers as we read of the scriptures and consult your word. Draw us closer to yourself. Draw us into that loving community. Draw us closer to you. May we know you and know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>